ParkPal is a companion iPhone app for trips to Disneyland Paris. You can check live attraction wait times, find out schedules for shows, character meet and greets, and parades. You can see restaurant opening hours, menus, and prices, and you can scan in your fast passes and set reminder alerts. ParkPal is available for free from the App Store. Hello, welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. My guest this time is 22-year-old Izzy Posen. He was born in northwest London and grew up in the Haredi Jewish community. Uh, they're a very closed, self-contained society, uh, which is all based on very old religious law. They're isolated from secular life. They keep themselves to themselves. And it's not just... Uh, non-Jews that they keep out, they kind of keep out other Jews who aren't as pious as they are. Izzy couldn't speak English as a kid, he grew up uh, learning and speaking Yiddish, and he wasn't educated in the way that secular kids are, but he was very quizzical. And then, aged 20, he managed to escape that that community. Uh, if you want to see the photos I've just shot of Izzy, head to www.sftl.photos. Also, hit subscribe in the app, go on then you won't miss a bloody episode. We've done the shooting, now let's do the talking. Hello, Izzy. Hi, Robert. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks uh, for having me in your, in your flat. Humble abode. Um, <laughs> just one correction. I didn't oh. grow up in northwest London. I grew up in east London. East so, London. And in... uh, why that's important, um, because there are two big Jewish communities in London. One is in Stamford Hill. Mm-hmm. But well, and, and surrounding area, and one in Golders Green and surrounding area. Which is where we are now. Which we are now, and, and a very different in religious outlook. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the religious outlook of, of the Haredi uh, community. Give a slight overview for maybe listeners who, who aren't aware that there are different sects within the Jewish community. Well, the, there are different sects within the Jewish community, and, and they're, they're mostly historical, um, how the Jewish religion developed over well evolved over the last two three centuries um these all, all of these splits started around the time of the enlightenment um and there were all responses to this uh, new kind of reality where the ghettos were open jews started assimilating and going out and meeting non-jews and the question was how does judaism continue so the community that you grew up in based in stanford hill how long had it been, had it been in stanford hill for um, I think this community is pretty much a post-Holocaust community and is okay. very much shaped by that. So the 50s onwards? I would say so, yes. Yeah. I mean, there have been a Jewish community prior to the Holocaust in London, uh, most importantly in the East End, but the, the, the way the Stamford community looks like is, is shaped by definitely by post-Holocaust Judaism. How would people recognize them? Right, they're very distinguishable visually um, by their distinct dress. Um, they Men wear black hats or on Shabbat and festivals, furry hats, which mm-hmm. are called strimal, um, long coats or beckages, um, white shirts, side locks, long beards, untrimmed beards. Women wear extremely modest clothes, always skirts, um, the thick tights, they cover, married women cover their hair and so on. And okay. you'd also hear them speaking Yiddish usually. Only Yiddish. Usually, well, men specifically speak only Yiddish. Women may speak English as well. So what was a typical day like for, let's say, a 10-year-old Izzy Posen? Um, well, it was, it was, we went to what was called Chayda, which is the equivalent of what would be called in the secular world school, except that instead of learning secular studies, it was all religious studies. Mm-hmm. So um, it will be a pretty regular school day. Uh, but the subject matter would be the Bible, the Talmud, Jewish law, Jewish ethics, and so on. So nothing like maths, science, history? No, uh, definitely no science and history. There was a tiny bit of maths, like an hour a week, where we did a little bit of maths. And they said it's for for us to help us understand uh, Talmudic texts, which obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but Talmudic texts have a little bit of maths in them. Okay. Very simple maths. So we, we need to know basic arithmetic. And were you happy? Oh, that's a really loaded question. I think 
I, you can ask that question to anyone. And uh, were you happy when you were 10 years old? I don't know. That's a difficult <laughs> question. But did you did you kind of accept it as, as the norm that you didn't learn about English? And maybe, you know, you're walking in the street and you see, you know, English on the... On, on a bus stop or, or someone's shoes, you know, you see Nike or something. Did you not wonder these people out here, they, they speak a completely different language that I don't. Until I was like 15, 16, it never bothered me at all because, uh, well, for us, that was the norm. You, if you were speaking English, you were the weirdo, not me. <laughs> but when, when I grew older, it did start to bother me because I realized that well, the dentist speaks English, the doctor speaks English, and the, the bank teller speaks English, and I'm going to have to speak English to communicate with them. That's when I realised that maybe it isn't such a good idea to live in London and not know English. So you, you knew that there was this outside world? Well, yeah, Stanford Hill is... is uh, the, the, the Hasidic community in Stanford Hill, um, they, they live... Uh, they live in a virtual ghetto, but not in an actual ghetto. That mm -hmm. means you, you you have non-Jewish neighbors. You'll never communicate with them, but you'll see them. I mean, I, I don't talk to my neighbors. <laughs> but that's... that's uh... At least you can if you want to. <laughs> yeah. If you, you know, if, if the kids knocked on your doors and said, you know, does the kid, does he want to come out and play? Or do you want to come to the, you know, we're having a party next week. What sort of, what sort of life is that? What sort of, you know, environment does that breed? None of our non-Jewish neighbors had kids our age. Um, I don't know if that's coincidence or maybe because m m most non-Jews living in Stanford still happen to be from the older generation because why would young families come and move in a heavily Hasidic populated area? Uh, we never had non-Jewish young people as neighbors. So that scenario never came up. Tell me about the school. Was it a school that was recognized by the government or... Is it a self-contained school? or what, What's the sort of environment in that respect? Um, it's actually illegal school. Illegal? So an illegal school. So it's recognized by the government as being illegal. Um, that means the government knows about it. It's been ordered to close down. And um, it's still going on as an illegal school. How do they keep it running? Oh, don't ask me. I have no idea. <laughs> you only went. <laughs> All I knew was that once a year, at the time when they were expecting inspectors or something we didn't have school in our premises we went off to local synagogues and had our classes there so we knew we were doing something naughty um but we saw it as sort of heroism and uh, sort of a devotion to your faith to the point where you're willing to do illegal things we, we saw it as sort of a maccabean revolt against the greeks who want to impose their way of life on us was it a nurturing environment that school uh, again very, very difficult question to to, to answer because in, in their framework, I guess, in their framework of bringing up kids who will be serving God and, and, you know, fulfill all the commandments and their version of Judaism, I guess they they did want the best for us. But from a from a secular point of view, from the way I see it now, I wouldn't say they were nurturing. That means they weren't developing kids' skills. Um, but there, were no there was no character building, proper playtime and, and expanding knowledge. So... I can say probably not really developing, trying to develop kids. So you learned Bible studies from nine to five? Yes. Bible and Talmud okay. and Jewish law. Give me a rundown of how, how, you know, how the lessons are, are structured. I'm trying to get an idea of how that school operates. Um, so let's take a typical Talmud class. Uh, you'll have, let's say, a 40-minute lesson by your teacher in a paragraph of Talmud. So um, the Talmud, Talmud being... So the Talmud is the rabbinic text compiled around between the 5th and the 7th century okay. AD, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I mean, it's written Aramaic, the language that the Jews spoke back then in Babylon, living mm -hmm. in Bab Babylonia. And uh, so the teacher would give a lesson explaining a text, uh, translating from Aramaic to Yiddish, um, our, our spoken language, mm -hmm. um, explaining what's going on, asking some questions, suggesting some answers and so on. And then we'll go off for let's say 20 minutes with our study partners and and revise so that would be in primary school so the the, the talmud text is essentially commentary on the bible uh that some would say so but i i wouldn't put it that way because okay. uh, it purports to be a commentary on the bible but it isn't actually it's more it's more like uh, it, it's retrospectively taking ideas and putting them into the words of the bible if you know what i mean so there's 
there's uh, in, in interpretation there's exegesis and there's mm-hmm. oh i don't remember the other one what's the other one so exegesis is when you take out from a text yeah and that's the, the opposite is when you put in ideas in a text and you try and see it in the text now say the talmud is the latter okay. so it has ideas and it takes jewish laws and it tries to show how it can fit in, in the text but i wouldn't say it's commentary okay so you have you have these lessons um what about what about relationship studies with girls and boys mixing together no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, they were all single ed schools, um, and not only that, even outside of school, you you wouldn't you were not allowed to speak with with well as a boy with girls or as a girl with boys. Did you want to? No. You no. had no desire. No, no, and I, I I never I didn't. They were like a different species, really. Uh, <laughs> what about your sisters? Yeah, we could speak with our sisters. Your sisters' friends. No. We've all got friends, you know, sisters' friends. No, we didn't speak with our sisters' friends. <laughs> they were off limits. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about sort of your home life in the sense of what are the, the kind of the gender roles in, in the community? What did, what did your dad do? What did your mum do? Were your brothers and sisters involved in what they did at all? So I'm going to speak generally mm-hmm. about men and women rather than my dad and mum. So, yes, they have very different roles in the community. Men are seen as having more obligations by God. That means almost 50% of Jewish laws and commandments are only applicable for men. So, for example, women are not obliged to pray three times a day, whereas men are. So, they're very different roles. Would so, they do it anyway? If mm, they're not obliged, but would they do not it? Not three times a day. Some women pray once a day. Some pray on, on weekends. But, okay. but they're not obliged to pray three times a day, and, and most don't. Um, so yes, yeah, so the place of the woman is very much uh, either as a housewife and mother, staying at home, looking after the kids and supporting her husband who is doing God's will by learning and doing the commandments and praying. Or in some cases, because the husband wants to uh, learn the texts um, and uh, rather than working, so sometimes the mother, the wife will work and support the husband. And that's what your mum did. Your mum worked. I'm not going to talk about my mum. <laughs> Just generally, just generally speaking, does she she follow the same kind of guidelines as everyone else? Everyone in the community follows the the guidelines. Okay, so are there any women in the community who didn't follow that guideline? Maybe they they wanted, you know, didn't want to work, or wanted to study themselves. As far as I know, in the community, there, there, there's there's no such thing as a woman studying the Talmud. It does it just doesn't happen. Because it's, it's not allowed, or it's not allowed. They don't get the training, and um, if you've ever tried studying the Talmud, if you don't have the training, you, you don't understand the bloody word what's going on there. <laughs> uh, even with the training, it's difficult. Trust me. So, uh, so I, I'm not aware of women uh, learning the Talmud. Is that not frustrating for them that they can't learn the Talmud? Or, yeah, or, or but they're, what? They're, they have... they're they're you know, if they have a desire to do something, you know, study the Talmud, study study the Torah, the the Bible. And they're not allowed to do it. Is that not quite restrictive? I'm sure it can be. But on the other hand, they were the ones... I mean, they we had to pray three times a day. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to put on tefillin, phylacteries. They didn't. Tefillin um, being... It's a, these leather, it's like straps a leather straps you wrap straps around you your arm and your yeah. head. I still have them. You kept yours? I kept mine, yeah. yeah. They can be used for other purposes other than ritual. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Um, <laughs> they're leather and straps, and they're nice. Um, Learn so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my point is that, that there's, there was envy going both ways. I, I would, I would envy the women on on Shabbat mornings, Saturday mornings, when we were spending three hours on shul praying. At that point, I'd. All I wished was that I was a woman and could stay at home. So <laughs> right, okay. I'm sure the envy went both ways. <clears throat> what did you do to relax back then? Read Yiddish literature? Movies? Video games? No, 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 definitely not. No screens allowed. No TVs? No TV, no radio, no video games, no computer, no laptop. Why is that? I guess it gives you access to the outside world, which is bad. Is it bad? Absolutely. In the outside world, people are not Haredi and people don't keep all of God's commandments. So um, if you can learn from their bad example, example, you can see that there's an alternative way to life. That's bad. So you That's know- why I said virtual ghetto walls. It's like a ghetto, just virtually. Yeah. So you never had you never had a TV as a kid. You never played, you know, Mario Kart or whatever. No, still haven't to this point. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you're kind of plodding along as a little 10, 12, 14-year-old kid. When did you start questioning things? When did you start thinking, this probably isn't the best thing for me? So it happened very, very gradually. I didn't start off thinking maybe this isn't for me. I started off questioning the very, very littlest, tiniest detail on the fringes and saying, things, you know what? Things like what? Um, so, for example, I belong to a specific sect uh, that is very, well, even within Haredi communities, it's extreme. And I started questioning their specific things. For example, um, we, um, most of my friends believed that the rabbis of other sects of, are evil because they're not as from, not as pious as our sects. Not as religious. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was probably the first thing that I questioned. Like, okay, they see it differently, but, you know, maybe be a little pluralistic and see that you do it one way and others do it a different way. And I'm talking within the Haredi framework. I'm not yeah. talking of thinking... God forbid the reform of Judaism, maybe, <laughs> may, uh, may, may, you know, pluralism on, on that spectrum. Just, you know, within Haredi Judaism, maybe there's room for different sect. We so, should should point out within the whole Jewish spectrum in the UK and, and, and the wider world, there are many, many levels of Judaism. You've got the very, very pious, which is where you come from. You've got the United Synagogue, which is my parents. Then you have sort of Mazorti and reform where they're a little more, I guess, I don't want to use the word lax, but they interpret things... Progressive. Progressive, that's a great word. So in, in Mazorti and Reform, you'd have like gay and lesbian rabbis, but you definitely wouldn't have that in United Synagogue. You definitely wouldn't have that you growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there, didn't I? You were talking about... You did. The, the, uh, <laughs> I never get interrupted. <laughs> Got to explain things to people at home. Um, you were talking about um, the things you were questioning. Right. So, so yeah, so that's how it starts. Mm -hmm. You start with the tiny things and you go a step further and you question a little bit more and you have some questions which you think are not, they're just questions that you're waiting for an answer. Yeah. And then the answer doesn't come. So, so slowly, slowly over the span of probably six, seven years, I just question more and more and more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I just, it just. When you, when you did question something and you, who were you questioning? Your mum, dad, rabbi, friend, brother, sister. Were you, who were you questioning? I was questioning the religious faith. But I would talk to but, um, my yeah. teachers in yeshiva. Okay. In, that's like secondary school. What was their reaction? Um, they were. I, I asked respectfully, and they they were usually civil about it. They didn't like shout, "Oh, how dare you have questions!" They went off and said, "Let me think about it," and they would come back with an answer, which was sometimes satisfying, sometimes wasn't, and that's how it would go. With my friends, it was slightly different. My friends were my age, younger, like fifteen, sixteen, and they were slightly more narrow-minded than my teachers. So with them, it didn't go down so well because they would hear me saying something or they would immediately brand me as, an, as a heretic. Just literally straight off the bat. Yeah, because I dared saying that the rib of the different cult or sect is not as bad as we think he is or something like that. That's, that's really bizarre for, for someone like me to hear. I, I, I would find that a really oppressive way to live. It well, definitely was. But I think if you're thinking of an equivalent, imagine you go to a very progressive school and there's this one kid who is homophobic, let's say, right? Now, this kid lives under this kind of oppression. They, they, they are homophobic inside, but they can't express the ideas because they know they'll be ridiculed and, and you know, seen as, as bad. And mm. that's how I lived kind of in my community. I had these ideas, but was very scared to air them for my friends. Okay. And even when I did, I was, I was always called heretic. So this went on, like you said, for for six or seven years. Was it almost like your your dirty little secret in in, in a respect? No, no, no. It was. I I always have a big mouth and I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, no, people people were people didn't know exactly what I believed and what I didn't believe. I didn't say everything, but people knew. Um, this guy is dodgy. There are things going on in his mind. So there was a was there a fear around you? There definitely was. There were lots of rumors going around about me, and I had titles and names, and people were. What's all the rumors? Like heretic, and he doesn't believe that, and he doesn't believe this, and he doesn't do that, and he doesn't do that. This, and some of my friends were even discouraged by others from being friendly with me. That's pretty hard to deal with. But this was really at the end of the last couple of months of me being in the community when it just went out of hand, and the the, the ridge between me and the rest of of my social circle just grew too wide it was sort of irre irreparable yeah yeah so that <laughs> was what what year was that roughly well the last year this was two years ago so this is okay. 2015 
the last two years in the Haredi community, I spent in Gates of the Yeshiva, which is like an elite yeshiva for um, ultra-Orthodox Jews. Yeah. Um, and I studied at Talmud for two years. And that's up in Newcastle, isn't it? It's next to Newcastle, yeah. yeah Newcastle, okay. Talk to me about that, because I've, I've known about that place for years. There would always be people from my community disappearing and then coming back. Disappearing for like disappearing. testing the waters and, and or, or but disappearing, you know, as if they, you know, they go for term time, then they come back for holidays or you know, they would always come back. We would always see right. them. It's a very interesting thing because uh, there's uh, this secular Jewish, well, secular. There's this lip more, more towards secular Jewish school, JFS. Did you go to that school? I maybe? did go to JFS. Yeah. Right. Okay. And we would always have in Gateshead would have groups of boys coming to check out the yeshiva in Gateshead for the weekend. Okay. And once or twice it happened that a boy decided, you know what, I'm, I like this place, I'm staying. <laughs> so did you ever go down to, to Gateshead for a visit? No, right. no. I knew, I, I went to Emmanuel College as well. Okay. Do you know Emmanuel? Yes. So I went to Emmanuel College for the first two years of secondary school. So that's 94 to 96. Um, and then JFS from 96 to 99. Emmanuel College being, in my eyes, a very religious school. On the first, the first thing they handed me was a prayer book. Right. And that's, and actually on, I'm, on my first day, alarm bells rang in my head. I was like, this isn't my, this is not the place for me. I right. shouldn't be here. Right. JFS is a bit more lax, but it's still under United Synagogue. Yeah. Um, from day one, I knew it was not the place for me. I just didn't have that. I wasn't that way inclined in that respect. I'm, really, I, it's interesting because I have friends who send their kids to Emmanuel College. And, and from what I understand, it's pretty secular. I mean, it's officially orthodox, but they don't do anything. They don't enforce any observance. Like, oh, well, they did when I was there. Like so, what? Um, prayers two times a day. If you were there in the evening, they, they held really? prayers. Uh, blessings after meals. Girls and boys educated separately. Really? Yeah. Emmanuel College? Emmanuel College. You think it may have changed since then? Possibly. I mean, it's been nearly 20 years since I... It's been 20 years since I left. 21 right. years. But, I, I mean, it was set up under United Synagogue. Yeah. It's named after the old chief rabbi. Hmm. I would imagine it's still... It's still I didn't same. know that. I didn't know that. Is that how it's it, those sort of schools that it's weird because we're at, we come from completely different ends of the spectrum. I was, you know, going to see Jurassic Park in the cinema on Saturdays, and you were you were in sure wishing you were a woman at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, you are from a very very religious observant community. I'm from a very I didn't grow up religious. I think we had a Christmas tree at one point. Right. I think I have very hazy memories of that. So you're saying if you were religious, it was Christian. <laughs> <laughs> if I was, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I see I see the school I went to as as over the top religious. You see it as not enough, or, or your your not community not would be I mean, like, it, yeah. it wasn't. It isn't religious. It's just, yeah. It, it's just bizarre that that's based on our on our growing up experiences. We see it come from completely different Absolutely. points of view. I mean, the, you know, the, have you heard of a school Hasmonean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, so I this didn't is, get in. This is, I wasn't oh, religious enough. Right. So this is a proper Orthodox school, right? Yeah. All the kids are, are, are more or less religious from religious terms. Oh. And I, I remember our um, head teacher in our Haredi school once giving to us a talk about something. He was, I don't remember what it was. He was upset that we were being too modern or too like secular-like or whatever. And he was talking to us. You're not Hasmonean. <laughs> you are. You are like Haredi. <laughs> so it was so this a was bad the, thing. the epitome of the bad scores, Hasmonean. That's insane. Because we we would always, you know, I would occasionally we would drive past the Lubavitch Center, uh, another sect of, of Judaism, which is right. not too dissimilar from like uh, the Hasidic and the Haredi in, in that respect, in in terms of you know the visuals. And it's almost like we would look down on them, like we would think, you know, they're they're crazy. Why are they they following it that that much? You live in a, a secular world. There's got to be some sort of balance. There's got to mm. be some sort of way to integrate and still retain your your identity. It's interesting because the people from that school, the Lubavitch school you're talking about, mm. the Chabad school, would say, oh, yeah, there needs to be a balance, but we're the ones doing it right. So you see the crazy Satmas to, to the right of us, the crazy <laughs> um, Hasidic with, with the long um, side locks. They are doing it ex to extreme. We are moderates because we don't have long side locks. We have short side locks. So, <laughs> so, so we are having the balance. So how, how, how does the Jewish community sort of bring it all, all in and, and, and try and exist in a way that there's complete respect? Because it, obviously it's not very respectful for me to say, you know, look at those crazy Lubavitch. And it's not that respectful for your teacher to say, you're not Hasmonean. You know, you're, right. not, you're not those guys down there. How do all communities work together to, to find a way to essentially be united 
Well, the question is, should they be united? Um, <laughs> um, I, I wrote a I wrote an, a column recently for the for the Jewish News, in which I argued that sometimes unity brings bad things because uh, if if you're united, you 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 you're under the illusion that you belong to one big community, then then you have expectations of people to on 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 the spectrum within the community. Um, so for I'll give you an example. So I don't know if you've been following the Dweck affair, in inverted commas. Uh, Kind of. Give, okay, give so a this, quick this overview of what modern is. Orthodox rabbi um, stood up in a lecture and said, you know what, homosexuality, it's banned by the Torah, you can't do homosexual acts, but let's have some love towards homosexual people. And something like that. Um, and there was a massive outrage from more right-wing rabbis saying, oh, he went over the pale and, and he's, he, he, should be, he should be fired from his post as an Orthodox rabbi because he's too liberal. And there, the, the, the question arose, how do you unite communities? And I argued... Maybe don't. Maybe realize you're two separate communities with two different ideologies and theologies. What's bad for you is not bad for these guys. And, and just accept that some people are more liberal than you. But does, does that not cause a big fraction down what is considered the Jewish community? So that's the question. Is there a Jewish community? Maybe there are Jewish communities rather than a Jewish community. That's a very interesting way of putting it. And that's kind of how they exist at the moment. Exactly. I think, I think we, it's generally speaking in humanity we should strive to get along with others and love others but we don't necessarily have to strive to see things in the same way and be in the same community we can coexist as different communities i guess that's the that's the basis behind pluralism it's not unity it's pluralism so what community would you consider yourself a member of now probably progressive judaism but that's very broadly speaking not any specific well, I'm personally I'm an atheist, philosophically speaking. I don't okay. believe in God, and I'm secular. I don't I don't feel obliged to keep any laws or rituals. I eat bacon and stuff. I just had some just earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Do you eat bacon? Occasionally, it's very salty, and yeah. it's not that great for you, right? Um, well, it, for the, for starters, it puts you into hell. Well, um, it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to be honest, if there's more bacon in hell, I'd rather go there. <laughs> um, so, talk to me about. Um, so, let, let's go back. So, you were uh, Gateshead. Um, and I'm guessing that is like the uber mecca of learning. Morning, noon, and night, yeah. you're learning. Yeah. Very you studious, very academic, learning. yes. Any influences from the outside world coming in? Because if there's, if there's kids from JFS going there, surely there's a alarm bells back in your old community. Maybe we shouldn't send our boys to exactly. Gateshead. Exactly, and, and there is, because at Gateshead, although it's a very religious place, you do get to meet people from different communities within the, the Haredi spectrum. And I got to meet there the first English-speaking people I ever met in Gates So you didn't, speak, you didn't speak a word of English when you went? I didn't speak any English um, when I went. Um, but there I met people who did speak English. Um, but the people from my Hasidic community, that is the sub-Haredi community which I belong to, the people who don't speak English, were always encouraged to say to stay separate and not mingle with the English-speaking boys. Up in Gateshead. In so Gateshead. And ignore Yes, it. they had their own clubs, their own groups. Um, and, 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 and this was another naughty thing that I did, that I started mingling with, with English speakers and making intimate friends with them. How did you communicate with them? You couldn't speak English. Well, I learned. That was my learning period. I tried to learn. I got a dictionary and I looked up words that I didn't understand. And uh, I learned. Did you do quite well? Not in the beginning. In the beginning, I struggled a lot. Um, I remember, uh, uh, well, this happened to me a lot. But an example was I once once had a friend over and I, the next day I was like telling, oh, I slept with this friend. It was a male <laughs> friend. I slept with him, which just innocently meant that he slept in the same room as I. But, you know, you don't know the expressions. <laughs> so they thought you were experimenting. Well, I don't know what they thought. But, uh, but... <laughs> okay, so in the terms of, in terms of that kind of environment, did you find it was even more oppressive for you or did you find that you'd had a taste of freedom? And Yeah, yeah, I, it, there was much more leeway. Um, I was away from home. Um, I was pretty much free in the sense that nobody was forcing me to do anything. There was a, there was a strict schedule, but nobody was enforcing it. Um, so instead of going to the lecture, to, 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 the, to the study hall, I'd go off to the library and familiarize myself with some English books. Like what? Um, like Harry Potter, that kind of stuff? No, 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 no. Um, not fiction, usually non-fiction. I wanted to learn. So basic science books. Um, my first book that I got was probably a level three 
or level two science book. Um, and would this and have been your f- maths book? Would this have been your first sort of exposure to an alternative um, explanation for things like electricity and light, exactly. and the Earth? Exactly. Yeah. So, so things started. The universe started to take on a more natural sense. So, rather than thinking, "Oh, there's a rainbow in the sky," it comes because God is reminding himself not to bring another flood, mm-hmm. as as the Bible says. I was like, now, okay, there was this guy called Newton. Uh, a fairly nasty bloke, um, <laughs> but he explained how rainbows work, and this is how it works. Yeah, so it was kind of the first alternative explanation for, for, for stuff. And it blew your mind? It did, yeah. What sort of things, apart from the, the rainbow, <laughs> <laughs> apart from the rainbow, what else did you, did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the way that you interact with people who are from a different sect or people who would normally be someone to fear? I didn't learn much in terms of interacting with non-Haredi people because I still didn't come in contact with non-Haredi Jews in y- or, or people in yeshiva. Um, I I don't know. I I my, I brushed on my English. I started I I started understanding English and reading English. Um, my maths. I learned basic maths. I never had the opportunity to learn before basic science. Um, that's it really. And oh, I also started reading some theology books. So, weird thing, ironically, people might see this as strange. The more pious you are in the Haredi community, the less you learn theology. That doesn't, on face value, it should be the opposite, because theology is about is learning about God. But they see theology as threatening because you're trying to apply critical thinking to God and religion, which you shouldn't do. You should just accept things at face value. You, you should have blind faith. Exactly. And I started learning theology because I wanted to understand um, God, and I had questions, and I thought these books might provide me with answers. So I did start... And especially since I, I learned English, uh, there was a whole range of books open to me um, on, on these topics, which I, which I read. I would imagine that if, if, you know, if you're on the restricted group of people, then you don't write certain books in the language that they can talk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, learning English, was that your, your key? Was that your gateway? Kind of, yeah. In hindsight, definitely. Definitely. There, there are no sort of evolutionary studies text written in Yiddish um, <laughs> as an example. So the question then continued and were your were your mentors or your elders or your teachers were they concerned? Yeah. Yeah, they were aware of, of my questioning but they they didn't know what to do. They recommended this book and that book which I read. But the more I read, the worse it made things. For example, um I read this Kirov. So Kirov is the term used to bring people closer to Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, in ultra-orthodox terms. And so I was questioning, so I was proposed, I was recommended this book. And in this book, I'm introduced to a new concept called evolution, which I'd never heard of before. And the way, the reason why this book brings it up is because it's obviously reading, uh, it's written to questioning people and it's telling them, oh, I'm, you probably doubt the narrative of creation because of evolution. Here's why evolution is bullshit. Right, it's a whole book to disprove evolution. For me, it was the opposite. I had never heard of evolution. I didn't have a problem with the creation story. <laughs> he kind um, of dug himself a and, hole. And, this and, guy and dug himself a hole. He's like, "There's evolution," and I'm reading this book, and I'm like, "Actually, you know, what? it does make sense. It does make sense." Let me read up more about it. Um, <laughs> so it did, it did the reverse. So he but, kind of he kind of flew. He he threw flames on the fire. Or whatever, exactly. Whatever the, yeah. the, the saying is. So from there, you did your two years at. Yeshiva uh, up in yeah, Gateshead. Uh, by the end of which I had lost my faith completely and I was ready to move on. Um, at that point, my mentors sent me to Israel um, to specialist outreach yeshivas and um, colleges where they'd help me and show me the, the path to the light. How do they do that? I mean, that, that sounds quite pleasant. No, it wasn't. So it, why do, how does it sound pleasant? Help you and show you the path of the light. That, that, sounds, that sounds like a holiday. Uh, well, but to show just, one the path of the light. Yeah, well, I mean, that, depends- that just sounds like a nice, you know, like a nice journey. That doesn't sound... So you use it as an advertisement. Come with us to Morocco where we'll show you the light. That's exactly <laughs> it. It does. It, that sounds exactly... I don't think you should go into the advertisement <laughs> business. I so think talk to me. <laughs> podcast making. <laughs> talk, to me about the, uh, talk to me about the path in Israel. Talk to me about this, this group. So I spent there six weeks uh, with a personal outreach mentor who took me around to different people who were trying to convince me that I'm going on a hellbound trage- trajectory and uh, the truth is obviously in the Torah and that eating bacon is a terrible idea. 
I'm a little tongue in cheek. I, I don't mean eating pig. I yeah, mean yeah. not following the commandments. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> so were these were these sort of one to one lessons, or were there a group of you there know, were all bad kinds boys? of things? Yeah, there were all kinds of things. There were there were mostly one on one, but sometimes they took me to to, to groups and lectures, and um, I was utterly unconvinced. Um, and uh, so it didn't do much of an impact. Um, so by the end of the six weeks, I was ready to come home. So you came home to no, Gateshead so, or to... Well, I was ready to come home, but I wasn't allowed home because by that point I was no longer religious and I was told, don't come home if you're not religious. So you, who, t- who said that? My community. Your community said, don't come back to Stamford Hill. Well, don't come back to the community. You're not welcome to the community if you're not going to be religious. And, and anyway, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good idea to go back because okay. why would I want to go back there? But that's where you're from. That's where your friends and yeah, family but are. Yeah, that wasn't... What was I going to do there? I wanted to go live a secular life, go to uh-huh. university. Uh, so I came back to London, to, to, to northwest London, where, where I'm now, um, and I enrolled in to college. Started. But where did you... Where did you... I mean, that's kind of the big... Same, where did oh, you live? Where so did there's you... an organisation called Mava, yeah. and they are set up specifically to help people leaving the Haredi community because obviously these people need a lot of help because they don't know the outside world. Yeah. Um, so I got in touch with them. Um, While you were in Israel? Yes. Yeah. And they sorted out a place for me to live until I could find my own lodging. Um, so I lived with a family for a month or two. Were they nice? Yeah, lovely people. You said were, I mean, they were really kind to me because yeah. they took me and they didn't charge me. They fed me. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I really needed it at the moment. It was it was really, uh, really, really kind of them. And you were, what, 22 at the time? No, I you were 20. 20. You were yeah. 20 at the time. Do you still see those people? Not often, no. I just find that so cold that you're told essentially don't come home because you're not the way we are. It's it's well, you've got to understand their perspective as well. It might be quite difficult uh, to understand how parents can tell their child you're not welcome because you've gone on a different path. But for them, it's li- it's not figuratively; it's literally the choice between hell and heaven. And, and they literally believe in heaven. They literally heaven and hell. believe it. They literally they don't pretend. They literally believe in heaven and hell. They literally believe that you do a sin, you go to hell, you burn. You do good, you go to heaven. And you have eternal pleasure. So for them, me coming back and potentially influencing my siblings or my friends was very, very dangerous. And they made the rational for them, the rational choice of sacrificing me to save the many. So it's about letting go of the minority of the one bad apple to save all the other apples. And that was, so that was two years ago. Do you miss them? Yeah, I miss friends and family. I do. Do you miss sitting down and chatting with them? Yeah. Just hanging out? Mm-hmm. What about things like, you know, like family dinners? Little, because you, you must have, you know, I have memories from, from being a kid and it's almost like if you have a memory as a kid, you can almost replicate it now because the people are around me the the weird thing about my life is that i was in a sense reborn two years ago i was born again it it wasn't as if just a major change in my life it was literally a new start um everything about was different even my appearance became different and i and i thought of kind of had to accept it that you know that was the choice for me do i stay in my old life and yes have all these nice memories and things or do i go into a new life and have to be born again and, and, and in a sense have all these nice memories erased or at least locked up somewhere. Are you in contact with them now? Um, I prefer not to speak about specific people and mm-hmm. personal issues. Just in a general sense? In a general sense, I don't have contact with most of my former community and family. Do you wish you, do you, wish you could or are you... Have you kind of found... Uh a closure that that's just not going to happen. I do wish I could. Um, I miss them. I still love them. I don't think they're bad people. I understand them and I love them and I miss them. But I realize that it might not be realistic to to hope that contact will happen anytime soon. And I'm instead focusing on making new friends and family. In the beginning, it bothered me a lot and I used to cry a lot. Um, but now I've come to terms with it. How do you move on from that? That anxiety, how do you deal with it? I think it's about looking forward instead of looking backward and seeing 
you know, the, the plus, the pluses and minuses to every choice you're going to make in life. And I made a choice which I have no regrets for. And it's an amazing plus. It's such a positive choice. And yes, it has its, it has its um, downsides, which I have to accept. Did you go to sort of counselling or did yeah, you? Yeah, I had counselling. Mm-hmm. And that's through that, that charity? Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a positive. That's, that's marvellous you can get something like that through the charity. Absolutely. They're amazing. They're amazing. They helped me so much. I, I wouldn't have been able to make it without them. So they, they were essentially your, 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 your support network. Yeah. And they still are. I mean, I, I, I don't, what do you think as, as a secular Jew, growing up secular, what did you think of Haredi people? Hmm. Let me think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so as a kid, even in the United Synagogue, which I guess is the baseline of it's like almost smack bang in the middle of between where you come from and where you know people could end up between very very religious and not and then progressive like you said united right. synagogue is smack bang in the middle there would be a couple of you know hasidic and haredi people who were part of the community they were friendly we were kind of friends with one of the families but um there was always a separation there was always there was always the idea that we were very, very different from them. Right. I had no problem, you know, going to the synagogue on a Saturday morning, coming home, changing, and then going to the cinema. Right. They would never have done that. Right. They would have gone home, had their Shabbos lunch, they would have had a bit of a sleep, and then go for prayers in the evening right for the close but of the sabbath a, if i may say in a way i i think you are in the wrong here me t- yes i'll tell you why the, and this is a general weird thing i have You're about the, the united to tell me that i'm in the wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh, the united synagogue is that some the, it has something really fishy about it it's officially yeah. an orthodox movement mm-hmm. and in, in orthodox it's very clear one of the most important things is to keep shabbat yeah. to keep saturday and not go to the cinema on saturday and what i don't understand about it is why you have probably a majority of members of United Synagogue don't give a hoot about these all these commandments and stuff. They don't keep Shabbat them that way, yeah. and like absolutely, I don't get why. Why not? Why don't you get to progressive synagogue where you where where you can go together with a rabbi to the cinema after after the service? I think some people get comfortable. You know, they live in an area where there's a United Synagogue. They've been going like my parents. They moved to Bushy in 1973. Mm. By the time I came around in in 1983, they were still there. By the time that I was bemitz for age in 1996, they were still there. They'd been mem- they've been members of that shul for years. Now they're members of the shul in Boreham Wood. It's on the same religious level. I think it's familiar, and it's it's not just Jewish. It's Jewish community. There's a network there. There's friends. So, you know, they yeah. go or yeah. or not go. My mum never went. My dad. Yeah. I think my dad's turned into a three timer. He'll go for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Right. Right. But I think it's just to show his face. Yeah, I, I just I find it weird for many because it's also it's very non-representative of modern life. For example, the sexism, right? Women are put behind a machitza, behind a kind of wall, behind a divide, and, yeah. and they can In never the lead room, yeah. services. They can never be rabbis. They can never leadership roles. And why would a modern person who is progressive find find why would they find it comfortable there? I mean, I I love synagogue, even though I'm an atheist. I love synagogue, um, but I never go to orthodox synagogues because I I don't like orthodox synagogues. I go to reform and progressive. That's why I feel comfortable. It's funny you should say that. That's one of the reasons why I never turned religious. My sister did, very religious, lives in Israel. Mm. So she's, I guess she's fine with that kind of environment where she is almost a second-class citizen in, in that respect. No, but that's fine. If that's her ideology, that's fine. But what I don't get is people who are not like that. They are modern. They are liberal. That, that's when I don't get why they would want to go to such a synagogue. It's like all about said, the burial, it, isn't it? Sorry? It's all about the burial. Yeah, get the yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. you, yeah. uh, you know, people uh, in listeners just don't know, when you sign up for a membership and you pay your monthly fees, you're essentially paying for your funeral plot at the end of your life. Yeah. I'm going to donate my body to science anyway, so I don't really need it. But, ah, just, That's great. Yeah, I well, don't know. You Maybe. should do it. You should do it. I think it should be my children's choice, shouldn't it? I mean... You want kids? Yeah. After I'm dead, I mean, they, they, they will still be alive. Maybe they'll want it in the dining room as an ornament. My Possibly. body, my mummified have, body. Have you stuffed? Maybe. Do you want a big family? Because you, you come from what? A big Big-ish. family? I think it's nice. Yeah, I like, I, like, I like lots of kids. 
and how many family. generally speaking how many siblings did you have or do you have generally <laughs> speaking i have nine siblings nine yeah and i'm the oldest you're the oldest generally speaking because in, in your community they, they marry quite young yes yes yeah or your old community rather by the if you, i mean if you would still be there you would have been married with a couple Long of kids by now a couple of kids yeah so how young do they get married they start looking for a match uh, when you're 18 boy and girl you start looking for a match by the time you're 20 you're supposed to be married if you're not married by the time you're 20 you're ready on the old side is there a little bit in the back of your head that still has that kind of still wants to follow certain rules do you feel that you, as a 22-year-old man, should be married now? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I'm definitely not getting married anytime within the next 10 years. Are you? Have you been enjoying yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a career to pursue. I've got education to catch up on. Yeah. A degree, master's, PhD, postdoc. Um, ah, kidding. Where, whatever happens, but I need to focus on my career. So yeah. I don't think I should be getting married. I don't think it's a good idea to get married young. Talk to me about girls. When you... I'm assuming when you left the community you hadn't had much contact with girls no and then after you left you have talk to me about that kind of social interaction if you're hidden away from a complete gender right how do you then start having conversations or asking someone out on a date right so in the beginning it's really really awkward it's really awkward it's just awkward you think you've, you've you've never met a girl in your life and you've got a you, you, do you shake hands do you hug do you kiss when you meet on first time how does it work it's so so awkward um i had some really awkward stories to tell um do you remember your first date oh gosh cringe 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 <laughs> i'm not even going to talk about it <laughs> go on talk about it generally speaking <laughs> generally speaking <laughs> no be specific i mean just it takes time until you learn the craft and okay. i don't think i've caught it up quite yet i'm still in the learning process you're practicing I practicing yeah um you seen someone at the moment no you don't want to i do you do want someone yeah i'm I'm on the dating scene but i'm okay. not i'm not in a relationship at the moment maybe by the time this program airs maybe who knows are you on the apps Have, i'm on all wait? the apps all the apps yeah you're on tinder was it j j date j swipe I'm on tinder and j swipe yeah j swipe they're, they're just for anyone listening highly disrecommend it well, they're like both terrible oh tinder all of no, them. It's, well, it's just more bullshit, terrible. isn't it are there any aspects of the Haredi community that the secular world could benefit from? Are there any virtues? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I'm, I've am i just written a column for the JC. It hasn't come out yet. The Jewish Chronicle. Jewish Chronicle. Yeah. Um, writing about attitudes towards learning in the Haredi community, which I think the secular community can learn from a lot. Okay. Because... I am a romantic intellectual. That means I have this romantic idea of the world as if it's a battle between reason and ignorance and I just want to learn more and know more. And and, and th that comes from a certain upbringing in which we, we valued learning for the sake of it. Uh, there's a concept of Torah Lishma in Haredi communities and it means you learn for the sake of learning just because you value truth and you want to search for the truth. You want to grow more knowledgeable and you want to connect with learning and i don't see that so much in the secular world i see in the secular world learning is more for pragmatic reasons an instrumentalist attitude towards learning where people learn because they want to know something more vocational they want to take a degree because they want to have skills for the working world for example and i think there can be more value for learning for the sake of learning just because learning is awesome yeah learning is awesome but i don't know maybe it's me as a someone who's grown up in the secular world there's there's no negative in learning in order to in, increase your skill base. But you said you said that no, I wouldn't repeat, say, repeat yeah. what you said. No, I wouldn't say about... it's negative to learn in order to to have the skills. I would say it kind of diminishes the beauty of knowledge and learning if you learn own if you reduce it to learning just so you have better skills or you can do a vacation. I think learning and knowledge and reason is so beautiful that you should learn it because because of its beauty and because you enjoy it and because you're in love with it can you not combine the two of course you should you can combine the two but don't don't reduce all your learning to just practice and you know instrumental instrumentalist reasons how do you how do you combine the two because you've got study books open 
on your desk at the moment. Yeah. And you're, you're working towards some sort of degree? Yes, I'm starting a degree in September in physics and philosophy. Okay. And um, right now I'm studying further maths just to make sure that I am not behind in my degree. Uh-huh. But I, when I study maths, I don't think I'm studying because I need to be able to solve an equation in physics and therefore help an aeroplane fly. I study it because it's beautiful and because it, it describes a certain truth about the universe. Mm-hmm. And that attitude um, that I have comes from the Haredi attitude towards learning, which is one positive aspect, I would say, that I'm still keeping from my Haredi upbringing. Anything else? Any other virtues? Um, I think... Community is very beautiful. Um, it can also cause us versus them um, separations, which it does in the case of the Haredi community. They, they very much are very kind and helpful towards people inside the group, but not so much towards outsiders. I think if we can retain, learn from them that the kindness and compassion and sense of community they have towards insiders without sort of lessen the love we have for outsiders, that would be wonderful. That means... Mm-hmm valuing um identity and community and family and friendship i think they have that a lot i think that's a good thing so you said before about searching for the truth yeah in in you know the haredi community you'll learn because you want to learn the truth is that not is that not quite an ironic statement considering they weren't telling you everything there is to know extremely ironic extremely ironic and i and i can't wrap my head my head around it it's it's i've this has been baffling me for years, how they really have, they claim and say they're searching for the truth and they really mean it. They, I mean, the blessing that you say on the Torah, when you read the Torah is, bless you God who gave us a true Torah, mm-hmm. right? On the other hand, it's everything but the truth, um, uh, which is one of the reasons I come back to the topic that we're talking about, but just to go off on a tangent for a second, um, I refuse to make this particular blessing on the Torah when I read from the Torah, even if I go to synagogue, because I don't believe that the Torah is truth. I think the Torah says many, I mean, has many historical, um, what's the opposite of accuracies? Inaccuracies. Inaccuracies. Um, it's creation story is mythology, not truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think the Torah is truth. Um, and, and, uh, and, and yeah, that's ironic because the Haredi community is, is built basically, I wouldn't say on lies, but on mis representations of the universe of the world misunderstanding how the universe works and thinking that the bible is somehow god-given which it isn't yeah um and and yet they search for the truth i mean i'm sure psychology has something to say about it but because they're very they search within a framework within their framework they're in search for the truth but they would never ask the question the actual framework were they worried to they're very worried they think it's heresy you can't question the framework because everything would just unravel. Exactly. I would. I. I would just find that a really odd and restrictive environment to work in. What have you enjoyed most about the secular world? Um, I think freedom of information and uh, being able to to learn and grow. That's probably for me the best thing. Just the fact that I can get up in the morning and go to the national gallery and spend six hours there for free, um, learning about Turner and and Caravaggio and the next day I can go to the science museum or the natural history museum and the next day I can go to the library and just read a physics book I think that would be the greatest thing for me what's been the worst and sex and sex um, of yeah obviously <laughs> <laughs> what's been the worst well, thing about the considering world? you brought it up yeah <laughs> oh gosh you're gonna grill me now how soon after did you uh, start it took me a year to lose my virginity you happy about that one no it wasn't it wasn't great it was just like for the sake of losing it <laughs> i've had better experiences since though oh, God. the first is always the worst yeah always it's full with anxiety and well you just you just get better yeah you got to practice exactly. practice makes perfect no one ever gets does it solo right solo practice count no yeah it does okay yeah so the practice counts so what's what's the, what's been the worst in the secular world um, I think the job market is very competitive and you've actually got to take responsibility of your life. It's not as if things are brought to you. You don't live in a supportive community and people just give you money if you're poor. Um, yeah, you've got to work for your shit. You've got to You've got to work. In a weird way, people do give poor people money. They, they can get benefits. There is that kind of structure. Yes. Would you, it, it, 
it strikes me maybe you were left without the necessary skills no, to look after you're yourself. Right, there is money the available. <laughs> <laughs> there is money available, but in the Haredi community, you'd you'd never feel. I don't know. You just have literally people supporting you in a very intimate way. People literally giving you money or giving you a job or your parents supporting you, whatever. In the secular world, you've got to work. You've got to, even if you're going to get money from grants, you've got to fill out forms and you've got to look for them. And um, I don't, I think it's just about also, you know, having choice is terrifying. If you have a whole world and you can, you have a whole array of things you can do. Making that decision is very terrifying because yeah. it means you can make bad decisions. In the Haredi world, you, you don't make decisions, so you don't make bad decisions. The decisions are made for you. Yeah. What's the one skill that you wish you had had coming out of the uh, Haredi community that would have you that would have aided you better in you know your footsteps out? So, well, I wish I had my GCSEs and A levels. I could have gone straight to university. I had to spend two years catching up on them. Why did you do those? Where? Yeah. Um, I did GCSEs in Barnet College and A-level equivalent in Birkbeck University of London. And you, what, what grades did you get? Good grades. Good grades? Yeah. Like what? Tell me. Um, so I just received my grades l last week and I got 97%. That's good. That's great. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's in A-levels, right? Yes. What did you get in GCSEs? Um, I did three GCSEs that oh. the wall. I got two A stars and one B. <laughs> like a good Jewish boy. <laughs> yeah, well, had I been brought up in a, in a good Jewish community, I would have had 11 GCSEs. <laughs> good now, point. You've got more GCSEs three. than I have. Pardon? You've got more GCSEs than I have. So actually? Yeah. Why? I think, I, think I, I fucked up my GCSEs uh, royally. That's JFS for you. Gosh. It's not their fault. It's my fault. I was... Uh, no, they're generally a good school. Yeah, they're a very good school. Um, I just education that kind of that kind of structure that's not for me. Right. But I was also at the time struggling with my sexuality, and mm. I had all these anxiety and all that kind of bullshit. So you've done better than me, and you've only been living mm. in in my world for two years. So well done, you. Well, I did it as an adult. It's slightly different. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, but you don't. You know, you've only been learning English mm. six months, a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. So you still do better than me. Well done. Mm. Muscle well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say? I mean, as as someone living in the secular world, what would you say are the best things about being secular or the worst things? I mean, what's your perspective on secular life? Do you ever think it's romantic to be kind of religious? No. I have real issues with people who follow rules blindly. And that's not just religious. That could be, you know, you know, when you work in a shop. Politics. Could so, be politics. Yeah. Could be someone just working in a shop and just following the rules blindly because their boss says so. I'm very much, I'm against authority. I'm against people who... I'm against blind faith. I'm I am I'm the opposite of you. I love rules. Okay, which is why I love maths. Hmm. I do love following formulas and following rules and I get very confused when there's no rules like in the dating world, which I find terrifying because I don't know the rules. It's oh, just even I want... if you do know the rules, it is terrifying. No, there aren't <laughs> rules. Are there any rules in the dating mm, world? There's you know, there's rules. What there's... basic rules? Like what well, wait don't be a dick. Yeah, wait for consent. Those those are the basic rules. Yeah. But, I mean <laughs> other than that, there's no rules on how to be attractive and how, you know, how make people like you. Okay, smell nice. And, smell nice, yeah. look nice. But yeah. like, they're not... Uh, anyway, uh, you get my point. Um, I get your point, I, I, yeah. So I do love rules. I just don't love bullshit rules. I love rules, just not made up ones. I'd so you, rather like, have you like science? You like explainable science rules? rules. Or, or, or not even... I, I'm even fine with, with sort of, with sort of um, government rules because I understand that most of them make sense to have a purpose. Do you think that's because you grew up in an environment that was so, so, so regulated and so structured... No, I think the opposite. I think I, that would have been a reason to make me hate rules because I, I, I dropped pretty much everything I grew up with. This is just something that my nature agrees with. I like being told what to do. To an extent. Of course, to an extent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, to an extent. I just like to know how things are done. Sort of an instructional manual to life. What do you identify as? Are you British? Are you, are you Jewish? What's, what's your identity? Ah, between British and Jewish. I think I would say I'm more Jewish than British just because I, I don't know anything about being British. I haven't, it, despite being fourth generation British, I haven't grown up. I hardly knew who the prime minister was growing up. Probably didn't. Um, I, I don't know anything about being British. I would love to learn more. 
but I don't see myself as very British at the moment, but I do see myself as very Jewish because I know a lot about it. But you're atheist. I'm an atheist, yeah. But a Jewish atheist, plenty of us around. If you want to see the portraits I've shot of Izzy, head to www.sftl.photos. Izzy, we always end on a quiz. So Okay, fire away. This is what I call my Jewish pop culture quiz. Oh, love that. Let's see if you can... I want to see you know, what you've learned since you escaped. Okay. So, in Friends, the TV show Friends, what is Monica and Ross's surname? Geller. Well done. <laughs> so when did you start watching Friends? Was that like the first thing you did? No, but I'm a big fan of Friends now. Marvellous. If I were a rich man, to life and matchmaker are all songs taken from which musical? Fiddle on the Roof. Did you see that as a kid? No, of course not. But it's a Jewish musical. Right, it's a musical. So, so you want to music or anything? No, it's a musical. That means you watch it on a screen and we can't watch anything that was watched on a screen. But you could have gone to the theatre to see it? No, can't go to the theatre. You could have put on your own show? Was anything like that? In, in, no. no. No? Okay. You're fired is a catchphrase of which TV businessman? No fucking clue. <laughs> have you ever seen The Apprentice? No. Lord Alan Sugar, do you know who that is? I've heard the name. Which Israeli entertainer or lunatic has been psychically bending spoons for 40 years? Oh, I know this one. I know this one. Um, Uri... Gosh. Same as Monica and Ross. Geller. Uri Geller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah, he is a lunatic. Which legendary comedian died in her doctor's office in 2014? No, no idea. Joan Rivers. Never heard of her. Never heard of her? No. Check her out. She's very funny. Okay. Woman comedian. Can I do a quiz for you? <laughs> if you want, yeah. Okay, what are the 613 commandments that <laughs> do us keep? <laughs> Fuck. I don't think I know one of them. Oh, no, one of them is wearing sit-sit and okay. praying. God, pass. <laughs> okay. Set the bar low. Izzy, thank you so much. Thank you for posting for photos. Thank you for being open in a general sense. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we end the podcast. I've been Robert Gershenson. And I've been Izzy Posen. We'll see you later. ParkPal is a companion iPhone app for trips to Disneyland Paris. ParkPal is available free from the App Store.